You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me, talking about our journeys, ups and downs, how we get through and do life our way. My guest today is Rebecca, otherwise known as Bex Baraki who is a mother of five, a TV host, a meditation and yoga guide, a doula. She is the author of two books. The first is You Have Four Minutes to Change Your Life, a meditation guide. Four minutes. You got four minutes. Love that. And her second book, which is coming out the same week as this episode, is called Managing the Motherload, a guide to creating more ease, space, and grace in motherhood. The book is about motherhood, but it's also not. It's somewhat like memoir-ish where she's sharing a lot about herself in a way that it allows us to see ourselves, to see these conditions we've placed on ourselves and society has to give ourselves more compassion, get more connected with who we are and make the choices we want to make and not the, this is the choice you're supposed to do. I love her. I've always been connected to the way that she shares things because she is very, very real. Her mission is to make mental health support and stress management tools accessible to all, especially Black and Indigenous people of color, also to LGBTQ plus folks and all other marginalized communities, which is another reason I really love and look up to what she's doing and sharing and bringing more awareness on what it's like or what happens and more awareness of being a black person, a mixed race person, of in the wellness world and everything. I'm a white person, if you don't know that. And so I obviously don't know what it's like for others. And so we get into a lot of conversation of what it is like and what what can we do if you are like me in a white body of like to practice more understanding and all sorts of that. So we actually don't talk very much about motherhood, even though her book is about motherhood. (laughs) Lots to say, lots to share, lots of good nuggets in here. Definitely follow her, get the books, and um, listen to what she has to say. I could have talked to her for hours and hours and hours and hours. So here we go. I'm going to go ahead and start by telling you... I like hit recording. We just said hi. And I was like, I think I'm going to cry during this episode because I was driving. This is my first recording of doing virtually. And also when I started doing the podcast, I was so I'm so excited. I'm so fucking excited to talk to you, to spend this time with you, to have this space. And I am someone who has a lot to say. And something that I've always worked on my life is not talking over people. But I can sometimes do that. And that's another reason I wanted to look at you so I can be like, okay, and I'm waiting until she can stop talking. But, you know, feedback of mine too is like, Trisha, oh, you have to make sure you finish. Let the person finish what they're saying, right? Like, don't talk over people. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm having this conversation today with Bex. Do you still like being called Bex? You can call me Bex and you can also talk over me because I am most assuredly going to talk over you. Okay, cool. (laughs) This is good. We're just girlfriends here. We're just riffing. And that's what I was like. I think the people, because I actually had feedback from someone telling me, don't do like, I can't listen to your podcast anymore because you do that. And I was like, well, you're not actually like I do unless I'm trying that. But also I was like, I'm in the room with people and we're in a passionate conversation and we we talk over each other. And so but it's like, I don't think that I did. But anyway, of course, I was like, I'm going to try harder today. I'm having my first virtual call. I'm doing that. And what I remembered, though, was that 
my urge, why I think I get so excited to share is I have a lot to say, but also from stemming from childhood, being just shut, told to shut up all the time mm-hmm. that I have this, I'm already starting to cry. I have this deep like need to be heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that that's where I struggle to like, and it's not saying what you're not saying or whoever I'm talking about isn't value heard that, that I just have this deep wound that I'm fighting from my dad at the dinner table, just telling me to shut up. Like, I just wanted to explain myself. Well, this is why I said that or did that or whatever. And now as a parent, I don't hold that against him because, oh, fucking shit. I see. I have toddlers, but I can feel rage (laughs) and anger and like, why aren't you listening to me? I told you not to do that. Why can't you stop doing it? So I feel all these emotions. I don't I haven't told him to shut up, but I'm like, I'm sure I don't handle all of these emotions perfectly at all the time. So I as I, so it's like in this place of like, OK, dad, I understand why you were saying shut up because you probably you were a grown adult financial struggles, having a struggle because now being an adult, being a parent, being like, oh, being a parent doesn't make you anything. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like still struggling. And now you're struggling even more because you're supposed to be responsible for these other people. But it's like, oh, I became a parent. So now I'm supposed to be this perfect, respectable calm understanding let me communicate with everybody in the best way sort of thing so anyway so seeing like i forgive you dad for saying that but also making sure to not discredit my feelings of like yeah i've always had this someone please listen to me oh my first of all you need to get to the parts of my book where i'm talking about becoming my mother and that process of forgiving myself and then at the same time forgiving her because oh my god i'm ann peterson and my mother's name but let me tell you a really fucked up story that's also kind of funny that might help you in <laughs> with this particular issue with your dad. So I was 15 years old and I was visiting my dad at his apartment with my best girlfriend, Nikki Masserini. And um, <laughs> hey, Nikki, <laughs> um, my best girlfriend, Nikki Masserini. And I'm talking to my dad and Nikki's like, Rebecca, why are you yelling at your father right now? Like, like, calm down, like be quiet. And I said, because Nikki, my dad is hard of hearing. And from across the GD room, my father, who my entire life I've been yelling at because he's hard of hearing goes, oh, I'm not hard of hearing. I just don't want to listen to you. Oh, shit. (laughs) For 50 years, I thought my dad was deaf. So I'm yelling at him to accommodate for his disability. I'm holding up quotation marks right now. And the man was just trying to ignore me. And so like you had never, <laughs> he had never said I'm hard of hearing. You were just like, he doesn't respond no. to me. So I, he must be hard of hearing. So I need to talk louder. I don't know if he said he was hard of hearing, but someone definitely said it. And it was because he was in construction and he was around all this loud machinery. all the time. <laughs> but let me tell you, he, so that was when he was 15. He passed when I was 35. And for the next 20 years, I also just yelled at him. It's out of habit because he just didn't listen. He just never listened to me. So I'm also someone who talks over people. I'm very loud. I'm very attention seeking. I'm a typical middle child. Um, I live in a big family now with my like five kids and my husband and the dog and the chickens and the goats and the whatevers. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I feel you, girl. I hear you. I hear you. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was not, and it was like a sort of like a good moment of like, oh, you know, this could be why I do that. M- maybe it's not. Yeah. And it wasn't like, I have to figure this out. It was just like an aha. And I had a painful yeah. memory of like that because I feel like as an evolved conscious human, heal, constantly healing human, I feel like, oh, you're like, 
I want to be like, well, that's okay. Like that wasn't that big of a deal that that happened or I can see his side now. But I also was like, oh, but I also need to like, that really fucking hurt. (laughs) And so I obviously cast something on me. It's interesting because as parents, I think we extend, I mean, we feel guilty about a lot of stuff, right? But I think we extend ourselves this like kind of automated forgiveness because we understand our story outside of the context of being parents. Like I'm a whole woman. I'm not just, you know, Winona, Calvin, Jack, Sonny, Annie's mother or Justin's wife. But when we look at our parents, we can only see through the lens of us being a child, right? And them being our mom or dad. So it wasn't until after my parents passed that, and and this sounds, this sounds terrible and I shouldn't be laughing, but it's true. And it is kind of laughable. You know, I only saw my mother as the mother that I really, I despised in a lot of ways. We were estranged when she passed. And then I'm at her funeral, her memorial, and all these people are getting up and saying all these like beautiful things about her. And she had all these amazing friendships. And I'm like, you don't know her. Mm -hmm. You don't know what she did. But the truth of the matter is that I didn't know her. I only saw her as my mom who hurt me. Yeah. I was hurting. I didn't see her as the friend, as the the very charitable person, as the artist, as like the sexy woman that like every guy in town like admired. I didn't see all that. And that's okay too. So I have to forgive myself as the child. You know, like she was my mom. She, I, she belonged to me. I, I possessed her as that. And, um, in losing her physical self, I was able to gain this understanding of who she was and, you know, accept and and forgive myself as a woman too. Yeah, I get that. And it is, it's true. It's like, of course, especially like looking at my kids who are almost two and four, it's like, no, you're just mom. <laughs> right. You're just like, you're why? Just like, mom. you are mom. Sure. You do these things and you say you're going to work and you're going to your friend, you're doing this. But like, I, I can only understand mom. And then even looking back at like, yeah, like as much as I am evolved and conscious is that and I see my mom is the fullest that it's still, though, because of probably these things that happened as child or whatever that. And I can see so hard. She was working so hard. She worked so hard to do that. But I can feel like, where was everybody? Because she was working so hard to provide for me and she did such an amazing job of raising me. But I have those childhood feelings of where are you? You can have both. Yeah. Right. So that's what I'm saying. And I'm in a good place for like understanding that both. But it is. It's like a complex, fucked up thing. Anyway. (laughs) What are we talking about today? We're going to get back. We're going to get back (laughs) to the motherhood journey. (laughs) But um, I want to talk to you about your journey. And I sort of always start with where uh, the reference point of like where I got to know someone or where you came into my sphere. Like we can go beyond that. But so how you first came into my bubble over world was, I believe I was living in New York City at the time and following Tara Styles. Mm-hmm. Why do I feel like I'm saying that wrong now? No, that's right. Tara Styles. On like Twitter, I guess that was the thing now. And she had just opened the Strala studio and that was like a big thing because she was creating a different movement of like yoga. And I, so I remember like you taking her, you, I got introduced to you from her because you must've been taking her teacher training. And then she mm-hmm. like, you know, shared about you or something like that. And I'm like, oh, who is this person? That's interesting. Like she must be someone special if this person that I think is special because that's how our brains work right um sharing about her (laughs) so I followed you and I just like I don't think I was like super connected for a while but I would just be like oh I was you know following you or then Instagram like whatever so I'd always like following you um and was like always hung around because I was like oh I love what this person is up to I'm not necessarily following it but that 
And then I got super empowered from once you became a motherhood or mom again. So when you started having the se- the second batch of kids, second batch, yeah. And when I was I a mom, to them here. just anyway, yeah. you're a great point of inspiration for me because there's a lot of entrepreneur boss lady mamas out there that look very prim and pop proper and perfect and have nannies and everything looks together. And it very is on some accounts. But like you were the person I saw, like you were going live like every day and like your kids could be running in and out or whatever. Like you just showed me a different. I was like, oh, thank fucking God. You don't have to look like you have everything together. <laughs> to like put yourself out there. I don't know how to do there. that. But let me tell you something. I'm going to reveal the truth. If I could get it together and look good every day and hire a nanny, damn right I will, right? right. Like I'll do that. Same. That, that's not my, it's not my reality. It's not what I know. It's never been. Um, I feel ridiculously, I grew up in poverty. I feel so rich right now. I don't even know like if I have an extra 20 bucks in my pocket. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. I feel so much responsibility. So I, I just show what I know. Yeah. I don't know how to be proper. And that's, that's what I'm like. And I love like those people I'm talking about are like legit my friends too. That look like yeah, yeah. with their like lives that look polished and stuff. And I know the realer versions of them. They share the realer versions and I don't know what saying is. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, it was just you, you being you was so refreshing. But I also let's start getting back in, in getting into your story. So I'll yeah. start with the reference of what brought you then to yoga? You can start wherever, because I know from now reading more of your book and learning more of a story, there's a lot there. And you started meditation at a young age. But where I got to know you was you were doing a teacher training. So I started my online career. And I say career like that because it was so accidental. I was really just showing, you know, what I was doing in fitness. Um, I started making these workout videos. I became connected with other YouTubers who were doing the same. There were so few of us when I started. It was basically... So you started as like talking over you? No, that's fine. I started... (laughs) For clarity. For for clarity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you started doing like workout videos. Workout videos. So it was basically me, Tara Styles, the Tone It Up Girls, um, Sarah Dussault, who's Sarah Fit, and Cassie Ho, who's Blogilates. We were the only ones doing this on YouTube because YouTube was only a couple years old. And what I didn't share back then was the reason I got into fitness was because I was leaving an abusive relationship. And that had triggered the anxiety and depression that I experienced very profoundly as a young child and teenager. So from the time I was eight years old until I was 16, I was in and out of hospitals, group homes, medicated. I was on lithium when I was eight years old. Um, so very, very serious behavioral issues, mental health issues that I had been dealing with. So I turned to fitness as a way to not return to medication because I had this very bad relationship with it. Um, so yoga was a a natural progression of that because I had already been on the spiritual journey of meditation, of prayer, of, I was always a very deeply spiritual, deeply religious person because of my background. Um, Tara invited me to her studio and I'm like, this is bullshit. This is not going to be anything that I'm interested in. Um, but I was so hungry for healing and I started and I fell in love and I became a teacher at Strala for a while until I, um, was pregnant with my fourth child. I was eight and a half months pregnant when I decided, okay, now it's time to stop teaching and, and to like have this baby and do this thing. But everything since then has 
I don't want to say it's been accidental, but it was never my intention to make this a career. To make what a career? Writing books, teaching meditation, teaching yoga, putting my life out there. But you know, it really, it, it isn't a career. It's a, it's a vocation. It's my yeah. life. It's my purpose. It's my dharma. It's my sacred duty. Um, it's how I express my, um, my spirituality. It's, it's prayer and action. That's what it is. And I make money at it. So yay. Thanks yeah. God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then let's go back. So you, when you said you were on lithium since the age of eight. Yeah. That's I was only because- on it for a brief amount of time. Cause that was really effed up. And that was because you had like anxiety as a kid. I was having extreme behavioral outbursts, violent outbursts. Um, Eight years old, I was, I mean, it's a a complicated story, but there was a a history of abuse, violence, sexual abuse, um, generationally, and then also within the family that was, uh, both of my parents are sexual abuse survivors. Um, extreme sex abuse of wow. survivors. So my story pales in comparison to, you know, to their suffering. But even being raised by survivors, you, you take on a lot of that, um, a lot of the tendencies, a lot of the, the behaviors. So it was really um, a difficult childhood. I didn't know how to express myself in a healthy way for a lot of obvious reasons. So I, at first, was pretending to have hallucinations Huh. That's what landed me in the hospital. I was well-believed, which was kind of remarkable for an eight-year-old. Like they didn't say I was faking it, um, medicated. Wow. Uh, by the time I was 10 years old, I was suicidal and I was attempting suicide. It was only because I didn't know how that it didn't, that it didn't happen because I really did have that desire to end my life. Um, and that was the first time I was put into a group home, a residential uh, facility. So there's a, there's a big history. You know, I come, I think people see me now and they see me as very joyful and exuberant and I have a lot of vitality. It's interesting because I was, I was, I'm reading Frederick Douglass's, who's a runaway slave for those who don't know. And he became a master orator and like a, a, a guide to Lincoln. And he was just amazing. So anyway, Frederick Douglass, I'm reading his autobiography. And he basically said, because he had suffered much in slavery, he knew that he would be even more joyful in freedom. And I read wow. that this morning and I was like, damn, that's me. I'm so yeah. joyful in life because it was hard. It was hard at the beginning. Do you remember like at any point, like did that group home or was there any point that you started to see some sort of light where you were like, okay, I'm not going to kill myself or did that no. go on for a long time? I, the, my last attempt at suicide, my last suicide attempt was, um, about 13 years ago. It was not that long ago. I mean, it sounds like a long time ago, but it was, um, when I was leaving my, my last marriage and, uh, I overdosed on, this is the first time I'm even saying this in public, but I overdosed on Xanax and it was my ex-husband. Purposely, purposefully. And he saved me because he was a, a paramedic and he, um, knew the things to do. He also, didn't take me to the hospital because he knew that that was my, that was my worst fear. That would be something that would be horrifying for me. So it's, yeah, it's, it lasted a long time. It was off and on. Um, it's like kind of the grace of God. I don't know what saved me. I don't know. I think that I have a higher purpose now because of all of that. I don't know. That's the reason why I'm here because I wouldn't say that because so many people end their lives successfully. Um, and that they also have purpose, but right. 
this uh, is this is the journey that I've walked. Well, so let like, and I know meditation has been something that you've done for a long time. Like, but like, where was there points? You know, like, so you said you had that last suicide attempt at thirteen, or you when you got out, that was not at the, 13 years ago, right? when you're leaving that marriage. And that was also then when you decided to get into exercise, though, was like that, was that last suicide attempt a sort of wake up call or where did? <laughs> I wish it was. I wish, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. So the thing about every journey, and I think that you can relate to this and people listening can relate to this. It's not a straight line. It's not like I got oh, on it and no. it was right. And it was just like, I'm just like creeping up the mountain and I'm like, I'm making it there there were a lot of ditches that I fell in and a lot of backward movements. Yeah. Um, I found meditation at 15 years old when I shoplifted a copy of be here now from a used bookstore. That is the story. <laughs> I saw the book. I was already on a spiritual journey. I didn't have the money. I took it and I had a prayer practice, but that didn't necessarily um, translate into following earthly law. So I took this book and I, um, for the first time, I saw a practice that turned inward, that was about my own wisdom, that was about the power to heal myself. And it wasn't about begging a God up in the sky for help. It was about like, this is something yeah. I can do. And that's what I got from the book. It saved my life. So when I say that I started this, this journey of healing, it was about these little glimpses of me recognizing my own power, my own agency, my own ability to save myself. Yeah. Sometimes with the assistance of a higher power, sometimes with the assistance of a friend on the other end of the phone, but it was about me being able to rescue myself again and again and again. And in a lot of ways, I'm still doing that. But what, I'm, what I have now that I didn't have then was these real moments of joy, this perspective that there's something bigger. I didn't have my children. I didn't have love in yeah. my life. I didn't have these things that, that I knew were worth sticking around for. So I still get anxious like every day. <laughs> I still um, have periods of depression, of hopelessness, but I understand it as something very different. I understand it as pressure that's moving me toward the next miracle instead of suffering. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So I love life. Yeah. No, I got teary eyed again. <laughs> Listening to your story. But again, like, so I almost, I thought about suicide a lot when I was around 15. Mm-hmm. And that was the big turning point for me too. Also seeing like, it's not out there. Like I was raised Catholic and went to all sorts of Catholic schools, which so I really never felt Catholic. <laughs> mm-hmm. I never remember believing in a higher power mm. from going to Catholic schools and going to church and being taught by nuns. That was my experience. I don't remember ever actually like praying and believing in a higher God. <laughs> and I was in a lot of pain because I had undiagnosed. I finally got diagnosed with fibromyalgia when I was 18. Mm-hmm. But I had... So like the, you know, and back then there was not these like mystery diseases and stuff like that weren't known. So like nobody knew what was wrong with me. I went to all sorts of specialists and it felt then like I was just a burden. Mm-hmm. Like nobody could believe me or understand me. My mom still took me to doctors, but I then it was like having the physical pain and the emotional pain. I was 15 and like 
trying to like be popular, trying to get guys to like me, trying to whatever, like all of that emotional stuff. And I just really like had family stuff. I had so much going on and I really did. It seems so far ago that I don't really put myself in that place now. But like, I think just hearing your story was like, it doesn't even feel like that was me. But now like remembering all of that, just feeling so lost and that I came to a point of like, you have to make a choice. You're either going to commit suicide because I would dream of all the ways I was going to do it or Mm -hmm. you're going to have to choose to live. And so I was then like, okay, I do want to live. I made the choice of Mm -hmm. I want to live. So I'm going to have to do things differently. And it was seeing like, then it's, it's all on me now. Like I'm waiting for my family. I'm waiting for friends. I'm waiting for doctors. I'm waiting for somebody to give me an answer, whether it's you're cool enough, you're you know, pretty enough, you're thin enough, you're smart enough, whatever it is that I was just like, I just have, I'm just like, I just have to do life for me. And of course that has evolved so much because I was 15 and there was like so much stuff, but I was just like realizing back then. And I still like say, I was like, I was in the gift of fibromyalgia Mm -hmm. (laughs) is that I was in so much physical pain. I had less space for the emotional pain that we cause ourselves with all the theories, fears, the doubts, the worries, the shame, the guilt, and like that. So like, yeah, I still deal with those different emotions every day but I just no longer I'm like I don't have the space for this what is is this real what is this thought like you know and so like yeah realizing it's me if I want to be in a different space if I want to experience joy if I want this then I need to be the one that chooses to create that and like but also to pay attention to the negative thoughts that I'm having which I was super like in the beginning of your book was super stoked to see you as well being like that you have to acknowledge and write down the negative thoughts. You have to acknowledge it. Let me tell you something. (laughs) This whole, this is the biggest issue I, I take with like the love and light industry. Um, especially someone who's coming from poverty, especially someone who's part of a marginalized population. I'm a black biracial woman. Like it just doesn't apply to most people, but especially the folks I know. And if you cannot see life and acknowledge reality for what it is Mm -hmm. and see it as like, this is real. The human experience is important. Otherwise we wouldn't be here. We're meant to experience things biologically. We're meant to feel pain. We're meant to interact on this, this plane, right? Like as it is, if you don't do that, then you're just, you're creating an illusion and you're never, ever, ever going to touch your real humanity. You're never going to experience what you're, you're here to experience. So I'm all about the pain, but also about reframing it for what it is and understanding that the same experience can feel like suffering, but it can also feel like that pressure that's, that's pushing forward the next miracle, childbirth. So I've found redemption in a lot of different ways. Um, The greatest gift in terms of spirituality that I was ever given was by my mother, because even though she struggled a lot in life for a lot of different reasons, um, being a survivor, just being a woman, right? Like on this earth, she suffered a lot, suffered with illness. She told me when I was five years old that, um, that I have this direct connection with God and that it's my God, that it's my God, that I have a voice that is always heard. And that God always speaks to me directly and that no man, no minister, no teacher, no one can come in between that. And that I'm always supported and I'm always loved. So even in times when I didn't love myself, 
even in the times that I was confused and I felt abandoned by God a little bit, I remembered those words and said, okay, like I'm mighty because I am, I'm loved by this awesome creator. And this isn't necessarily like a Christian God or whatever, like you can call it whatever, but I was put here on purpose yeah, and I have a purpose. So I think that my brashness, my audacity, my bravery really in, in the, in the face of a lot of things that scare a lot of people, like I don't, I'm not embarrassed by my story. I don't carry a lot of shame. I don't, I'm get really radically vulnerable about people knowing my truth because I think that my humanity is really fucking beautiful. Yeah. And it's what connects us. And I've always felt that way. And I've never really been a why me person. I'm kind of like a why not me person. Like, so yeah. I just do things. I just like, yeah, sure. I'll write that book when I, when I don't even have a high school diploma. Mm. So I just do shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it, and it works out because of, um, my love for myself, but also the love that I receive from my creator and also the love I receive from all the other people that show up because I love them so much. Like I love people so <laughs> much. I really do. Short, tall, ugly, fat, skinny, beautiful. <laughs> like I just love people. I think the ugliest people are the most beautiful. I just love it. The ugliest stories are the most beautiful. Yeah. They're the most human. Yeah. So I, um, yeah. But no, I was, yeah, we started, I was saying about the negative thoughts where it's that like, you know, yeah, that was rambled. something that I realized <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is a point where I could talk over and cut her off, but she was saying some, I'm like, but I'm going to keep letting her going. Cause it's very beautiful. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Those, so those negative was, thoughts. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. I mean, that's what, uh, I realized myself in the recent years or time that I was like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm all about affirmations and I, I, affirmations really had a great effect on my life and really had me like going to a deeper level of self-love that I, I, I already thought I really thought I had, but I didn't, um, but using them in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is that I was like out there pushing, here's my affirmation deck, here's the affirmation or whatever. But I was somewhat doing people a disservice because what I realized is the most powerful way to make an affirmation work is to notice a negative thought feeling you have, pay attention to a negative thought, and then we're like, oh, well, fuck that. I don't want to believe that. What do I want to believe? So to be creating affirmations or choosing affirmations based out of paying attention to the negative thoughts you're having. Right. You got to And not pushing them away. Right. And I talk about that in the book. Like, have the the negative thought. Look, sometimes the negative thought is true. Like, sometimes I'm broke. (laughs) <laughs> like my electric bill needs to be paid. I was saying, but what you want to believe <laughs> right. is that I am abundant or I am right. worthy. I am a badass at making money, whatever. Like, but it's after naming the thing you don't want to name feel. the thing. Like, so, so yes, I am broke and my electric bill needs to be paid. And, and here's the affirmation part. And I talk about it in the book about creating these and statements. And I am a capable, vibrant, smart person who knows how to make money. So, yeah. and I know that I can go out and help myself and I know I can ask for help, right? That's yeah. another part of it. Like maybe I can't do it on my own. Maybe I asking for help. Like I know how to ask for help. I have good friends. I have people who love and support me and are willing to help me in this. Um, today, today, one of my very beautiful, capable, highly educated, brilliant women friends is being evicted from her apartment shit happens, right? Like that's true. That's true. (laughs) And 
something that I've learned is to um, what I can affirm in this world for other people is that they are loved and supported and that I'm here. So I'm like, girl, what you need? <laughs> I got a van. It's, it's kind of a broke down van, but like I can get you, I can help you move. Like we can get you into another space. Right. So it's like the affirmation also like be an affirmation, be affirm that mm. life is good. Yeah. Affirm that there are people that love in the world. Yeah. Right. And that's who I am. Like I am a walking motherfucking affirmation that I got your back. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm here for you. <laughs> same. And that's the thing. Like what I I'm know. saying, like disservice is like, I still believe in affirmations, but I'm like, I'm now like being a bigger reminder of like, but if you really want them to work, then you got to get real with the shit that's going on in your head and your heart and your mind and your body and pay attention to those wounds, those shitty stories, the bullshit that you're thinking. So then you can go into actually believing in affirmation. Because if you're yeah. just trying to like cover it up and switch, okay, I'm worthy, I'm worthy, I'm enough. You're, it doesn't go anywhere. You're just like repeating a nice sentence. The truth like, <laughs> shall set you free. It's all about the truth. Always speak the truth. Speak the truth to what is so-called bad and speak the truth about what is good. Just constantly recognize in every moment what is true. So like mm -hmm. things are sometimes shitty and also, and also I have yeah. this going for me. Hey, it's me, Trisha, giving you a brief interruption to the episode because it is almost the one year anniversary of my daily inspiration app being released into the world. Own your awesome. If you don't have the app, what are you doing? <laughs> Go to the app store right now and type in own your awesome. It's a daily reminder app. You can come to it at any time and you hit show me a card, swipe through it, get a different affirmation, a powerful thought to think about, take with you. You can easily share it, favorite it. There's a journal section. You could also set a reminder in the app that every day at a certain time you'll get a reminder. Maybe it's at 7 a.m., at 2 p.m., at 7 p.m. Whenever you feel like you need a little introspection, a little getting out of your head, get a reminder from the app. The one I got today is I am right on time. Such a good remember either when you're running late or you feel like, why hasn't this happened yet? I'm going to hit show me a card again. I release the word should from my vocabulary. I ask myself, what do I want instead? And I listen. Okay, so if you don't have the app, get it. If you do have the app, leave a review in the app store. To celebrate the one-year anniversary coming up, I am going to be picking people that leave reviews and submit them to me to win a bunch of different things. You can enter to win a free call with me, a box of goodies from my store, a gift card. I'm going to have so many things coming up. So get the app, leave a review, and then screenshot that review and send it to me, yourdryologist at yourdryologist.com. And you will be entered to win something for the celebrations to come for the one year anniversary. All right, let's get back to the episode. Okay, I do want to get back into like your story. I'm like, this is what happens when I talk to people that are more but like. This is the story. <laughs> no, it is good. But I'm like, I end up, we like talk about good stuff. But I'm also like, but I want to actually like learn more about you. But you do actually, you go really deep in. Like I said, I haven't read all of the book that's coming out. Well, I'm going to release this episode at the same time. Okay. So managing the, the mother, mother load. load. Managing the mother load. 
you share a, lo- a good amount of deep history and story. Yeah. In that. Yeah, so let, I'm just going to keep going back to <laughs> where I first got to know you. You mm-hmm. got into exercise then. You're saying you then realized you needed to exercise to help with the anxiety mm-hmm. and stuff that you felt. That's but why what I did got, it. What the hell made you be like, well, let me record this for the world to see? <laughs> Like, sure, people get into exercise, like to help themselves. But where do you think that you were like, oh, OK, I'm just going to record this and because maybe I'll help I others. I'm an exhibitionist and I am needy for love. It's I mean, it's really true the, I I don't know where I lost. Like, I, I know that a lot of women deal with guilt and shame. And I'm not saying that I don't experience it all. Um, If you read the book, you know that um, part of my story is that I was uh, I was conceived in the context of an extramarital affair. So I am biracial, but my fa- the family that I was raised in was white because my mother brought me home from the hospital. They were giving me up for adoption. They brought me home. They raised me as their own. And I was raised in this white family. So I had shame associated with that, with my identity and not being able to speak the truth to my identity. But I think from that, when I was finally able to get out into the world and like be who I am, I was so excited and I'm like, this is me. This is me. Look at me. And when I need help, I ask for it. I'm not ashamed to ask for help because I, I know how good it feels to help. Yes. I, you know, I just, I don't, I don't know where it comes from. I just want to share that it feels good. So I just want to tell people like, ask for help because it feels really good to be loved in that way. So when I was working out and wanting to feel better, I thought, I saw this thing called YouTube. I was like, wouldn't it be really frigging hilarious <laughs> if I put on, if I put these like instructional videos on and like kind of got a community around it. And it was so interesting because the first community that I found on YouTube were like the hundred plus, um, losers or the people who were, had goals of losing a hundred pounds or more. Oh. And it was interesting because I've always been a thin fit person, like in, in appearance, I'm kind yeah. of skinny fat right now. Like I'm dealing with like not getting off the couch that much, but I got the feedback from a lot of people who were quote unquote overweight. Or like you weren't focusing on them. You were just putting videos out and somehow these I was putting people. Videos, but they were, yeah, they were like, we feel so comfortable f- with you. Like we love your videos. And I'm like, I'm just like some skinny bitch. Like, I don't know why you like it. But like they just, they, and I felt, I, I, from there, that was a big lesson for me in serving marginalized communities and where I really wanted to place my efforts and how I knew that I had a unique gift for reaching people who felt unseen. Yeah. And I just kept doing it. Likely that. from even though you didn't have the weight struggles that those people oh. had, you're mm-hmm. just personal humanity struggles and that you were so like aware, maybe? Were you, do you feel like you were aware of your people. pain and struggle? Well, the thing is, is that not, I'll tell you this, 99% of the world is fat phobic. They're anti-black. There's a lot of issues. I mean, like really, like even the people who, who feel like they're not, we, we swim oh, sure. in this, we yeah. swim in this water of fat phobia, of transphobia, of anti-gay, of anti-black. Like we all are, are yeah. programmed with that. And I don't and, feel like it's our fault. Yeah. Cause it's programmed. It's like, you know, you said fat phobic and I wanted to be like, oh yeah, I love fat people too. But of course, no, I've been programmed to think if you're fat, then that means you're lazy like right. that there's something wrong with you, that you don't take care of yourself, that that's wrong because I was raised with my mom constantly dieting. You need to look this way, whatever. So that I am not like, of course I love fat people, but I, we have all of this programming living in the bodies yeah. that we have to force ourselves to try to see around and feel around. 
I think that one of my greatest gifts from God, right? And I'm not saying like everybody, it lives in everybody. I'm not saying that I'm any exception, but one of my greatest gifts, and I don't know if it's from spirit or if it's from my own feelings of not belonging, but it doesn't manifest into action. I'll say that. That like, however I act outwardly, however I've expressed myself in my life, I have a natural tendency towards inclusion and really wanting people to feel loved. So I know that I have this gift. And if I don't use that, then I'm an asshole. <laughs> I need to really like, I need to call people in. And, and so I, I shared my mental health journey and this fitness and this yoga, but I really focused on meditation because that's where my heart is because I was a child who did not have health insurance that every time I was sick, I was in the emergency room because I couldn't go to the doctor because when I needed mental health care, it was through state aid and it wasn't good. So I know that there's so many people out there struggling, mothers, not mothers, women, trans people, black people, fat people, whatever. They're struggling. They don't have the tools that they need. And I'm like, here, I have some stuff for you to use. That's ordinarily really expensive. So that's the core of my work and, you know, like what I do. Also buy my book. But if you can't afford it. Oh yeah. Also buy my books. And there's a third one coming out in October where we're not talking about that now. So, <laughs> but please just, if you need me, if you need a free book, hit me up. And she's it, legit. She's not just yeah. saying that to sound no. like a nice person. <laughs> I'm not a nice person. I'm a kind person. I've never been accused of being nice. <laughs> okay. But you keep, you know, saying like, you feel this calling to like, yeah. Inclusion, you know, to see yeah. people, do you think that that stems from yourself from feeling like co- overcoming and even your birth story of no, feeling because, like, no, there's a no, lot of white so you folks don't know. That, there's a lot of poor white folks and white folks that have gone through a lot of shit and they're not out there trying to like help people. I think I really, I just have no interest. I don't know what it comes from, but I just have no interest in power. I have no interest in riches. I mean, buy my book. But like, I just want to pay my electric bill. I no, but no, I mean, like, but you're saying like, you know, like even no. starting with the people that resonated with you and like, you just wanted people to feel, feel included and in seen or whatever. Like I said, do you yeah. feel like that might have been coming from you growing up and like uh, wanting to feel included or seen or you're just like, I don't know. I'm not going to say that I don't, that's that. Not I don't buy know into where the it childhood. comes from. If I had to put money on it, though, I really think it's it's again, it's a sacred duty. I think everyone comes into this yeah. world. Um, I say that we have a shared purpose, which is to love, be loved, learn, and teach. That's what everyone is here to do. It manifests in a lot of different ways. But I think that my my specific purpose is to serve. I am a servant in humanity. And that's why you like were able to like do the things. Like, okay, I'm gonna create YouTube videos. Okay, I'll do this. Okay, I'll create the programs. Okay, I'm gonna go live every day. Yeah. For however many it seems like for a long time. It's a like, really long time. <laughs> I'm not, but that's the thing. Like, I'm not exceptional. This is how I show up in the world. I, I'm not different than anyone else. I'm telling everyone who's like listening to say, or to ask themselves, okay, if my purpose is to love, to be loved, that's easy. Like show love and allow yourself to receive love, learn and teach. You are qualified to be a teacher because you have gained wisdom from this lifetime. Yeah. So whatever you know, share that. That is your purpose. That's how it manifests for you. I'm not exceptional. This is just my, this is just my purpose manifesting itself. You have it too. Yes. Right? So like, let's all do that. Yeah. Same. Also but, in an anti-racist way, because that's really well, important. Perfectly. I just said that. Cause I was actually about to talk about the race thing. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk it about seems that. like in the last, well, and I've, I will be honest that like, I've been, obviously I'm white person 
privileged white person. Are you? So <laughs> I am white. I am I a, had it as noticed. far as I know, I'm white. <laughs> I still love you. But that's the thing though. As far by looking at you when you started sharing black biracial stuff, I was like, huh? Because to I me, know. you are white. That is That's what so your funny. color looked like. And so I was even interested mm-hmm. when you said when you're born um, that it was like, oh, well, obviously I was different. And I'm like, oh, really? Because I obviously don't know your siblings and what everybody looks yeah. like. But I had no idea until you recently in the last year started speaking up more about racial issues and um, more claiming it that I had no idea. It's, you know what? I want to I speak to that in a couple of different ways. Um, so firstly, people don't know what black looks like. Totally. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying this because I'm like, it's, and I'll know. say it like, I'll say it like this when people go, well, I don't know any gay people. It's like, no, you just don't know any stereotypically gay people. Right. Well, like, I don't know anybody that wear like bold <laughs> outfits or any like girls with right. really shortcut hair and dress right, like right, boy. Right. Like, right, yeah, right. right. Exactly. So because of what black, the black American experience is, first of all, the average percentage of European blood in African-American people is 25%. So the average black person walking around is one quarter white. And that is because- well, I was saying, I might be, I don't know that. <laughs> it's, it's, because of, it's because of rape. Oh, so so that, is, that is the legacy. It's because of rape mm. in slavery because there's no such thing as consensual relationships between slaves and slave masters. So there's that. Um, my direct ancestors, um, I'm four generations out of slavery, uh, four generations back was my last ancestor named Porter Boyer, who was born into slavery. So my father is black. My mother is white. My father is 80% black. So he's blacker than most black people in America. And my mother was very white. She was very Irish, uh, red hair, freckles, very white skin. And this is what gets made. So you see a lot of black people walking around that, um, don't look black. I would, what would be considered white passing. Um, I choose not to be a white passing person because, uh, I choose not to like accept that because I love blackness. I love my connection to, to blackness and it's in my blood, um, my ancestry. And I want, I honor that. I like, I honor that so deeply. So there's that part of it. You don't know Was what that black- a recent though. No. So that's the other part so of it. So always it's in a, your life, you had been like, I'm not just white passing. So from the time I was in middle school, when I was able to express it to my friends, I've always been. Okay. Wow. I've always been me. And I've always talked about it. What's happened in the past couple of years in our industry, I'll say ours, like this, like self-help, you know, whatever industry yeah. is that this issue of race um, and anti-blackness and racism has come up a lot. I have been talking about it since a minute. I've been talking about like being black in yoga. I have like videos that are like eight, nine years old talking about this. But people, it's no, but what I'm saying is that no one saw it because people don't see it. If it's in, if it's not in your, it's almost like um, that experiment where you tell people like, there's no such thing as a white van. And if people don't believe that there's a white van, they don't see it. Like it doesn't even enter their consciousness. So I've been talking about all different kinds of marginalized populations, but um, my blackness for a really long time. But, but it was almost like there was this filter where my white audience was like, oh, no, she's white. Oh. Because that's what makes me so palatable. I will say that that has been to great benefit to me specifically, but also to what I'm trying to do because I am so palatable. I am that acceptable black person. I am that very light skinned black person that gets into white spaces and that gets heard. 
So that's why I use every opportunity. Like we're not going to end this call without me talking about it. No, I <laughs> wanted to. I, yeah, purposely yeah. Because I actually, I, I, I have many friends that are of different Uh-oh. percentages or whatever. And one of them um, I interviewed as well. Her episode didn't come out yet. And I almost, after we got off the call, she is, her mother is white and her father is black, married still. He was a pastor. She, to me, looks like a black person. She has lighter skin, but she has the, you know, deep curly or whatever, stuff like that. And we didn't get into the conversation. She even mentioned something like, you know, about her and her son, like beat the like odds because like they both became successful. She had a baby at 16 and whatever, being Mm. a mixed, like, you know, mixed race or someone who looks black. And after yeah. the call, I was like, I kind of wanted to talk about race and like what that felt like to be mm-hmm. raised with a white mother and a black father and to be mm-hmm. in the church and stuff like that. And I was like, but I honestly, well, we also had plenty of other stuff to talk about, but I also was like, yeah. as a white privileged person, I don't know what to say or approach it. And so sometimes I feel like I'm being ignorant because I don't know where to put my part in the conversation, you know? So um, I wanted to bring it up with you without being like, I don't even know what to say, but I wanted to make sure... You know, I, talking I, about I, it, I walk you these know? lines too. It's, somebody asked me last night, they said, as a very, as a very extremely light skin, white passing, um, black woman, how does that play out within your own community? Um, and it, it's interesting because many times I have to be put in my place. Like this is not your lane, um, by my sisters who have darker skin and that's valid. And the reason for that, though, is that we have to understand that like all of this kicking and sorting, all of this infighting, whether it be between poor white people and immigrants from Central America or light skinned black people and dark skinned black people, it's all the product of white supremacy. Because how convenient is it for people that nobody has anything, right? Like we're all at the bottom together to fight amongst ourselves instead of looking to what's really affecting us. So. It's, um, my skin color is a product of white supremacy, of abuse. And I'm willing to talk about it always if the person is truly curious and wants to learn, but that's not true. Like I can't speak for all people. So I say to you as a white person and then other white people listening, ask the question and be prepared to listen. And then once you're listening, everything you hear accept as the truth. There's no such thing as perspective. It's all truth that you might not have experienced. So does that mean in reference if like you were going to tell me like your what you feel or what do you experience as this color? Like it's real. That, it's the truth. God, because I'm like in my mind, I'm like, well, well, of course. Why would I? Because a lot of times they'll say like, oh, well, you know, your perspective as this. And I'm like, it's not my perspective. It is the truth of living in America, the the same America you live in, the same reality you're experiencing, but you are just not open to it because your lens is like this instead of like seeing all this. So I walk as a white woman and as a black woman, I like when I walk into a space and I don't have a conversation with someone, I'm being treated as talked to as a white woman. It's so interesting because the conversations that I hear are fucking horrific because people think I'm safe and they say like, really, like I've been told not when I was in real estate, not to sell houses to ends like the N word, like I like really like explicit things. So I walk these spaces. I understand what's happening on both sides. And what's really interesting. And I think it's really important for white people to understand well, we're not talking about motherhood at all, but that's cool. <laughs> I know. I was no, like, oh man, the time. And I'm like, <laughs> no, but what's important for white people to understand 
is that black people and James Baldwin has said this and, and he said it so eloquently, but black people know white people better than they know themselves because we see you and have to navigate you and understand you for survival. White people don't understand black people because we're, un, we're not critical I? to your survival. You don't need to understand us. You don't even need to have us in your spaces. We could disappear from the place of the planet and it doesn't make a difference to you. So it's just really, um, it's an interesting conversation. Um, yeah. So I am interrupting <laughs> because I wanted to give yeah. an example for like when you were saying like back when like, okay, don't act or what did you say? Like, don't put your, say it's your perspective or something like that. And I was like, what are you even talking about? But I had a memory of years ago. So there was a time in my career when I was touring with Natalie Cole, who's black and everybody else was black in the Mm -hmm. band and crew. There were a couple other white people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I became super good friends with these people, love them. One of them was like best friend. We did everything together. And we went into like, like, I don't know, some health food shop in LA or something like that. And she came out and was like, oh my God, they were so right. They were so like, you know, said something like they were so racist or whatever. And I'm like, huh? Like, yeah. what? You know, and she's like, you know, the, the way that he talked to me or whatever. And in my mind, I was like, I didn't see that at all. And so I could understand where you're saying, like, don't put your perspective where I could have been like, oh, but don't you just think maybe you were being sensitive or maybe he was you could have just read too much into it that where you're saying to not put have perspective on to take it as the truth. Oh that my gosh. Yeah. She was treated, but no, at first I didn't understand what you're saying. And now I'm taking it back to it, that person saying this to me is so that I didn't understand. I don't, I didn't think I was in, I wasn't in the restaurant when it happened. So I didn't actually see, but in my mind, I could have, of course, and especially as someone that's like, Oh, perspective person mindset that I could have been like, well, don't you think that maybe you made that up or you read too much into it? Maybe he wasn't rude to you or he didn't look at you because he was just like upset about his own bed or blah, blah. Or maybe you're taking past experiences and putting that in that. So that me as a white person could have been like, oh, I think that you're like maybe taking that as too much and that you're saying. And what I did, I had to just been like, oh, wow. OK. Yeah. That, I think and to not try to take her out of that. Is that like what you meant in that it's like exactly what I meant fully. it's exactly what I meant and also and I think that and you know just maybe moving this beyond the race conversation into every conversation I mean even like relating as like mothers or like just people from east coast west coast whatever it's that if we could just say that we're all really that there isn't your truth or my truth which is the most agitating statement to me I hate when people say share your truth there's only the truth there is the truth there is the reality. And if we can accept that as such and understand that as we broaden our understanding of what is real, we broaden our understanding of what it means to be human, then we can truly be in community with each other and really have understanding and compassion for each other because we're constantly trying to put our ideas on people. I think that that's why it's really hard for black women and white women to really be truly friends. I hear a lot of white women say like, oh, my black friend. And I'm like, is she really your friend? When's the last time you had a hard conversation about race where she felt safe to be honest with you, to be able to talk about white people with you and her experiences without, because I, I know that even me when, and I navigate these spaces very easily and with a lot of ease that I have very, very few white friends, very, very few. And, um, and there's been a very long vetting process. And an education that they've even gone through to be able to really call themselves my friend for me to feel safe um, when I can walk into a room of 20 black women who are strangers and it's just 
there's an understanding. There's a, there's a connection that's there. There's a sisterhood. So it's, um, but I, but again, I, I, I listen to all people and, and knowing that even a white reality, even though that's not necessarily my reality is the truth. And I need to understand that to understand humanity better. Well, right. And that's what we all have our own stories, things, whatever, all of these things that put into us. And that as much understanding and compassion that we have for someone in the world that we still don't know we can try to shift perspective, but like really, and that's, you know, I talked about this in other podcasts, like that we can't like invalidate our own experiences and that someone else as well. That even if we were in the same exact place and saw something, the same thing happened, even if our color, the skin was the same, if like that, like as much as it could seem like our histories and looks and things were the same, that it's still because of our own minds and so what was, even if we were raised the same, that it's everything yeah. is so unique. It's and that really like experiences, it's our DNA. Right. I mean, science has proven that black people's DNA has been affected by the trauma of slavery generationally to today. And there's this there's this shift in our brain function and the way our bodies work and the way we experience illness. So it's it's in our DNA to have that understanding. So while I don't even if I don't look so much as like a black person, like people don't think like, it's so funny, I go into black spaces and I'm like, I'm black. And they're like, of course you are. <laughs> and then I go into white spaces and they're confused because black people know what black looks like. But um, I, go, I feel, I feel blackness in me. So the, the compassion is different. It's, it's the understanding. Oh, I'm sure. Like even watching videos. and stuff, I can have like, compassion for everybody. Of course, that doesn't mean that like I'm in somebody's part right, as if like right. you know like yeah, and it's yeah. like and I think that's also the big thing of knowing that there is a not knowing yes like, having love and knowing I don't know enough. humility is important or like yeah <laughs> like okay uh, <laughs> so motherhood All right <laughs> I'm like I oh don't we all have much I and I have questions that I want to ask you that I ask everybody but it's kind of great that we didn't go too much into motherhood because I think I do have an audience of mother you know like basically your book the first book is what you have four minutes. You have four minutes to, cha- to change your life. With I freaking love, which is like meditation prompts or whatever, which because of course we all make everything seem so hard and so big. And like, if I have to meditation, that means I sit in this uncomfortable position quietly for 20 minutes or whatever. I don't it's do like, hard things. Everybody makes things so hard. So they yeah. don't do it. Like you have four fucking minutes to change your life. Sit down and read a short passage. That should have been the title because those <laughs> titles are very on trend now, right? With the curse words, like you have four fucking minutes. To change your fucking life. <laughs> the, so the book that is now coming out, Managing the Mother Load. Yeah is such a gift because it's so real. And as humans in general, we are so looking on the outside as in, especially once motherhood start, what's the rest? What's the best way? What's the, this, what do I, how do I do this? What's that? Oh, my kid's not sleeping, co-sleeping, sleep training this. Like there's always so much like, what am I supposed to do? And I'm someone that believes in no shoulds, but there's such like, Oh my God, I'm now responsible for these small humans. So it feels like so much weightier. And then the judgments and then talking like myself, I feel it personally, like, talking to friends because you want to have some sort of connection. We both have kids. Let's talk about thing and then feeling judged because my choices are different than their choices. And what's the right fucking choice? And so then I'm not going to talk to them anymore. Deep breath. So then, Deep breath. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you this, but just like, that's what it's like though. It's like a whirlwind of nuts in motherhood, but in life in general, we get so stuck in yeah. the right way, the best way. And in that your book is such a gift into like just coming into yourself. And that's what it is. It's not a parenting book. It is not a how to parent. It is my journey through motherhood 
and how motherhood, the experience of um, living life through that lens from that, that perspective, that truth uh, informs everything that I do. So that's important. But, but to what you were saying before about you know, thing, looking to the outside, what I want people to really feel and understand and what I know to be true is that what is inside is outside. So what my community is me. So I am connected through spirit, through energy to all the people that I love, to the people that I ask of their help. So when what's also inside of me is my ability to ask for help, to reach out, to connect, um, to look for support. So that's also the essence of managing the mother load is that it comes from you, but it's not all up to you. Yeah. Love it. And that's a lot of like what I share and teach and know myself. And so it's so beautiful to see it in a book and in so real and especially with the focus of motherhood, because like I said, I felt like very self-actualized and in touch with myself and then becoming a mother, it's like, well, like, you know, you just like go back through the spins again and like sort of not trusting yourself. And I had to get back to a place of, oh, this is what feels best for me. This is a story. This is a that like somebody might be judging me because of this, but I don't care because I don't think that that's wrong or right, like or whatever. Like, so I had to come back to like, you know, my phrase of the only judge of me is me and seeing like a judgment only matters if I think it's the truth and coming back to so what do I feel like? I'll see even the other day I'm out with my kids and like, oops, I didn't brush my hair. I bet those people are looking at me thinking I'm a lazy mom or a bad mom. Do I care about that? Do I think that's true? Nope. Cool. Like, oh, motherhood is a trigger. Like totally. no other. whatever issues you had. It's that's like what I'm saying. Like, thought I was good. Like, thought I was good. Then became a mother. And it's like <laughs> now like out in public that I'm like worried about people judging me because of my kids. We're out at a nice restaurant. But I go to this nice restaurant because it has a nice outdoor patio that the kids can run around in. And I feel good about it. But then we were there the other day and they start to run around and I see somebody's looking at me and I'm thinking, oh, they think I'm a bad mom because whatever. Like, do I think I'm a bad mom because I'm doing this? No. Cool. I'm good. <laughs> like, <laughs> but like, it's a constant but I'm constantly catching myself. Right? In the, am I being judged? Am I a bad this? Am I doing this wrong? Because of a reflection of me now as a mother, that I thought I had gotten my shit together as me as a human, and I mostly have, but of course I still fight those other things, but it's even bigger with me as a reflection of these people belong to me. So what does that mean about me? (laughs) Well, finish my book because it'll fix that. No, I'm saying like, I've, (laughs) no, I'm saying I'm using my own tools with that, but I'm saying like, I like, oh, it would have been great if I had this book when I had had the first one, because it probably would have made my like process quicker because I then had to relearn these things for myself. So that's why I was saying it's such a gift. I'm 22 years into it. It's such a gift and you're you're so real. It's not like, this is the best way to be a mother. It's sort of just like allowing yourself to own all of who you are and your stories and your journey through motherhood and life in general. Was that? Yeah. Was that what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so very quickly, this normally in person, I bring all my keychains and ask you which keychain phrase you most resonate with right now, or one that you need as a reminder right now, basically, and why. So I'm going to pull it up on the screen. I don't, it's just, I have the phrases, not all the pictures of keychains. So it's again, like, not like, oh, I love that phrase the most. It's like, which reminder do you feel you need the most mm-hmm. right now? And this is like the first time I've done this. It's so funny that you're doing this. I'm such a And then I will send it to you. Um. <laughs> oh. Okay, yes, so all of those it. are I different keychains that look like what this picture is. So which one do you feel you need to be reminded of the most right now and why? Oh, you know what? I don't, 
need to be reminded of it, but I like this to affirm and because I feel it's true is that everything is yeah. going my way. Yeah, I do. I, I can't say it enough. I've been saying it like several times every single day. Um, I'm not going to cry, but this is, <laughs> this is, this is the moment. Um, this is the first time in my life that all of the pieces, they're not perfect. And I really need to stress that that nothing in my life is perfect right now. There's actually a lot of stuff going on that's really, really hard. And then I'm navigating. I started talking about it in my book and it's, it's still a long road to go, but I feel so capable and so ready and so loved and supported and so, so filled with purpose that I feel like everything is just aligning. And I do feel like everything's not only going my way, but going my way for the service of others. Um, Last night, my husband and I were talking about our final plans to start the process of becoming foster oh, wow. parents. And that's the next part of our journey of, of um, giving back, but also fulfilling like our love circle. And, um, and I just feel like all of everything has just been leading up to this point of being able to be who I want to be, raise the family I want to raise, and then bring more love into our lives in that way. So I'm just like, yeah, everything's going my way. Yeah. It's so good. That's <laughs> the one I have good. on my keys. That's been like my, that's been my Ow! go-to like mantra all year long. Cause it's just like, yeah, doubt, fear, whatever comes up. Like, you know what? Everything is going my way. I don't know how, when, where the timing, but I believe everything is going my way. I believe and I see. Mm, yes. I believe Love that um, clarification <laughs> and enunciation. Okay. What is a go-to that you do to raise your joy levels? If you're feeling down, ugh, blah, you got to do something, whatever, just get out of your head. I read books by black people. It's true. I read books by black people. I'm finishing up Frederick Douglass's autobiography. I mentioned that before. I read funny books. I read sad books. I read fantasy books. I read books by black people. I think that um, as far as what we have access to the stories of black and indigenous people in America are the most empowering, uplifting, inspirational. And, um, I nourish myself with their stories because it shows me, uh, you haven't been through shit. Mm. <laughs> and also you could do a lot. Wow. More. <laughs> so yeah, okay. that's what I do. I, yeah. Mm -hmm. I had this thought earlier this year that I shared on Instagram and now it's something I constantly think of. So I ask everyone, the thought is, what is easiest for you is not always what is best for you, which is like, duh. But, <laughs> but for some reason, I constantly have to remind myself of this. So I was ask everyone, can you think of mm -hmm. one way to apply this in your life right now of where what is easiest for me is not always best for me? What's easiest for me is to affirm what's not good. What's easiest for me is to watch the news and say it's not getting better. What's easiest for me is to read Frederick Douglass's book and the words he wrote 200 years ago and see what can apply today and say it hasn't gotten better. But it's not hard for me. I won't say, I won't put it that way. But what is challenging for me and what I accept with joyful exuberance to this challenge is to say that, yes, this might be true, the things that I find that are easy to say, but here I am and I can change all that. Yeah. And that's so, why I think I didn't, but yeah. I don't like to like say the words, oh, like I'm saying it's easiest for you. So it's like, what's harder for me? Like then that doesn't feel like fun or like mm -hmm. calling me into it. And that, yeah, that's why it's like, what mm -hmm. is easiest for me? But what is best for me is still, oh. that's the, yeah. So what's easiest for you is to believe these things. What is best for you is to also believe. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because it is like I try to not I try to not live into like this is so hard because then that'll stop us. Like, oh, this is hard. It's hard for me to get out of bed in the morning, but it's better for me to do that because I'm going to feel this way. Yeah. Life is hard, but I mean, we've been totally. tasked to do it. But it's like so if I just wake up every well, day and right? tell myself life is fucking hard, <laughs> then I'm probably like going to be less likely to tackle yeah. it. <laughs> and the things that yeah. feel like it make yeah. it hard. Um, which again, can be like a positivity spin, but that's one that like, yeah, you know what? It's If I'm going to tell myself this is hard, then it l- make, leaves me over here. So I can see this is hard, but how do I want to see it? It's best for me to do this. It's more yeah. fulfilling for me to step into it, whatever. Okay, so the title of the podcast is Claim It, meaning it's up to us to claim our joy, our worth, our value, our enoughness, our visions, everything. What are you claiming for yourself right now? My divinity. My divinity. I am so, I am a divine and intentional creation. So I, and I claim that. I claim that. I love my humanity, but I claim my divinity. that. Mm-hmm. And also, I just realized as I was saying that statement, then I started to feel like, is this then a white privilege statement? Like, how did that that, that show up to you at no. all? Because now I feel like with everything, it is so great that we have so much more awareness of these things. But then I then now am because people were like, oh, by the way, Trisha, everybody's very focused on white, black, this, that now. So be careful of what you're saying. Like I had messages to me like last year when the sort of like lightness world by the way, this. And so I was like, oh, fuck, I don't think that I'm being like that. Well, of course I am. So now that I'm like afraid to like, oh, if I'm saying, because I get, of course, it might be more challenging for a person of color to claim that, but also they might might have harder circumstances, 100%. But still, I do feel like, right, you have to realize that you have the worth in yourself to fight for or the joy. It feels and sounds different. And I think that when you, when a white person says it, then when a black or indigenous person says it, I include indigenous thank you. non-black people of color in a different, are in a different category. So I think that, um, it's different because, and I think it's important to qualify. I qualify my privilege all the time. I qualify my privilege as a neurotypical tall, thin, you know, all the things that I have a loved person, right. A person who got hugs. So I qualify my privilege when I speak to manifesting, claiming, taking, owning, declaring, all those things, just because we haven't been given to it by those in power, white people, doesn't mean that it is not our divine right. We claim a power that is higher, (laughs) you know? So I'm going above white supremacy and taking it from another space. I don't, I don't need to be given it to, you know, by I just like, of course, don't <laughs> want my messages to feel like if a certain person marginalized. Hey, be wrong. And be wrong. Be wrong and be corrected. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I would rather say something that I feel like will greatly resonate with a lot of people, even if it might end up offending someone. And if it doesn't, I would love you know, then like, please like reach out. And that's why I was like, oh, as I'm saying yeah. this, does this seem like a white privilege thing? Because I don't want it to be. I want it, I, of course, don't know anyone else's journey or story. I definitely have white privilege, but I want to believe that no matter what your situation is, that you need to dig in within and find that you you have the right to joy, worth, value, even if it seems like society, yeah. not seems, even if it makes society makes it harder, right? Yeah. 
my, my mentor, Patrice Jackson, who's a brilliant racial justice teacher, she says, you know, she always gives the instruction to white women to fail forward. Like, let yourself be wrong. Let yourself fail. Just stand yeah. in ownership of the consequence. That's yeah. what I was like. I realized that some of the things I might say seem too like, well, that's nice for you. But yeah, they are. But don't worry saying. about but it. But I'm like, but <laughs> just, just yeah, but that's what I'm like, yeah. I'm totally and I realize that. But I also at the same time, like I feel some truth and power when I say them. So if I feel like if I don't say them, then I'm not, you know, like a lot of the people will resonate with that thing I have to say, even if it might to somebody else be like, well, no, that's easy for you to say. Because that's easy for you to say can be said about like anything. Well, a good question. And I did this when I was reading when I was writing my book. I go back and I ask myself, I, I think of the most marginalized among us, which are black and indigenous women. And I say, what would this sound like to her? What would this mean to her? And I had to rewrite some parts and I had to explain some parts um, because I do have a lot of privilege yeah. in my life. Even the fact that like I have a husband that works from home and like cooks for me every day. That's a uh, big privilege. I'll take that privilege. Right? Like I don't touch an I don't touch an oven, right? So I have to always qualify my privilege in, in my statements. And it's a learning yeah. curve. It's it's and that's what I like a lot of times I yeah. now like I might still say the powerful thing there and then like of course in the caption be like, of course this doesn't apply for everything, all situations. So I try to do still like you know, that where it's like, here's the statement that resonates with me right now. I realize this might not work for everybody and realizing like, hey, everybody, everything's different. Like, yeah, you know, trying to do the best it's I can that. and like putting the words out there that I feel. But no, of course, like I don't want to offend people or that, but I can't let the fear of offending people keep me from speaking out because that also is a space for me to learn. If I am offending someone, then hopefully that'll teach me different, better ways to say things and to communicate. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. There's a million things I could have talked to you we about. We can still talk. We can still be friends. On, uh, 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 I mean, with um, the recording going. Um, oh, you know what I could use your help with? <laughs> I can ask. Is this on the recording or after? <laughs> oh, this okay. is after. Never mind. Take this part out. I thought we were just no, like, we're good. Oh, okay, I was sort of like, because there any like last thing that you want to say or it's okay. So it's so interesting that we, that we talked a lot about um, racial justice on this call. And I think that it's a really great opportunity because we're talking to women. Majority, I'm sure your audience yeah. is primarily women. <laughs> yeah. Majority women. Um, probably a lot of women uh, that are mothers and that consider or consider themselves nurturers, um, caring people. And it's a really great segment of the population to reach when it comes to racial justice. Because when we focus on the rights of the, the quote unquote least among us, you know, black and indigenous women, black mothers who are dying in disproportionate numbers in childbirth are not getting the health care that they need um, to receive. They're not being taken seriously in medical spaces, especially mental health spaces. When we focus our efforts there, we really help all of us. And I would appeal to the audience as compassionate, caring, nurturing people to really look at how they're showing up um, as anti-racist, not just non-racist, like not just good people, but really like are taking a stand, um, not just against the current administration, not just against like, you know, children who are in cages at the border, but like, but 
the people who live among us that have been experiencing this for a really, really long time that didn't start with the last election. And it certainly didn't start with the, you know, the new immigration policy. So just ask yourself how you're showing up because it will not only serve and heal the people that you're helping, it will serve and heal you. So do it for selfish reasons, maybe, <laughs> but that's what I want to leave it with. Like, you know, it's, it's our job as women. We will save the world. We will. The Western woman will and save so the world. And so for those people that might <laughs> be listening and go like, okay, I'm thinking about it. And, but they like, can't, that's not something that they know how to do anything. Like, do you have suggestions? Cause you know, like I'm yes. sure they're like, okay, I can, but then they don't, they're not going to take the time to like, they're going to forget and get busy yes. and then be like, oh so, shit, I didn't do anything. I don't. Well, I gave one of them re- yeah? read oh. books by black people, specifically read books by black women, follow black women. If you look into any single movement, any movement, the feminist movement, women's suffrage movement, any the civil rights movement, it all started and has been held up by black women. So follow them, support their campaigns, give their give their platforms money, um, support uh, black women's Patreons, whatever you can do to funnel money, time, energy, talent, support to black women. Do that, do that, do it's that. It's all I do every single day. <laughs> and, it, and it pays off in dividends. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I was like, I just need like want a tangible. Okay, I can go get do that. You know, I can go get a book and like one. I can go follow people. Which maybe I'll have you send me a list of like um some favorite people to follow and stuff, and I'll put it in the show notes. That would be great. Yes, I will will do that. Make it easy for people to take a step because sometimes you got to do what's easiest before you can do what's best. (laughs) Or it is best to take that easy step and be like, okay, I can follow this one person, and then it'll open up or I'll read this one book and then it can start to open up. If you keep doing it, if you keep practicing the things that are challenging, um, what's best becomes synonymous yeah. with. But I'm just easy. saying like for some people, they'll be like, okay, that yeah. sounds great. Yeah. That an idea that you're sharing, but I don't know how. So if you give them an easy, here's a link right. to click, then they can step into going further. Yeah. yeah. I'll give all you right. all the links. I love you. <laughs> I love you. This was good. As I said, I could have talked to Bex for hours and I do hope to have her on again sometimes. So much good things to talk about with her. To find more from her, go to at Bexlife on Instagram, B-E-X. Her website is Bexlife.com. You can find all about her. Of course, check out her books. You have four minutes to change your life and managing the mother load. I will have links to those in the show notes, as well as links to books that she sent me as she was saying to read from black writers and um, how to get more involved. So links for that. Please share the episode. Send us messages. We'd love to know what resonated with you. What didn't resonate with you? I'm open to all sorts of feedback. And I really love reading your reviews on the podcast. So if you haven't yet, please rate, subscribe, and leave a review. Let me know. What's this podcast doing for you? I mean, I have these conversations because I love them, but I really love hearing how you guys resonate with them. And to thank you, screenshot your review and mail it to podcast at yourjoyologist.com. Each week, I pick someone to send a box full of goodies from my product line. Just like my keychains, I have an affirmation deck, mugs, wine glasses, magnets, journals, all sorts of empowering goodies. So send me your screenshot of your review and you might get a box full of my goodies. 
And of course, you can always go to my website and shop them. <laughs> Everything me is yourjoyologist.com. I'm at yourjoyologist on Instagram. Thank you for spending some time with me. And as a final thought, think about in your own life right now, what's showing up to you as what is easiest for me is not always what is best for me. What could that thing be? And feel free to message that to me at your I'll see you around.